painful sex, peeing when you sneeze, heavy menstrual bleeding, hemorrhoids, these are just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to crap women deal with after childbirth, surgery, or just living life as a woman. Yet no one talks about it. How can we live our best life as a woman, mom, partner, and athlete without having to settle for average sex or dirty pants? This is the question, and this podcast will dive into real answers. If you get offended easily, this is not the podcast for you. We get real, and sometimes real isn't pretty or proper. If you have young ones nearby, we suggest you put in headphones. We are Joss and Jenny, and welcome to Real Talk with the Pelvic Docs. Before we get started, if you like what you hear, follow us on Instagram, at the Vagina Doc and at Pelvic Boxer. DM us and we will personally answer your questions. For this episode and all future episodes, please keep in mind our disclaimer. The information on this podcast is intended as general information only and should not be substituted or used in lieu of medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Now, let's dive into today's episode. Hey everyone, welcome to episode six of Real Talk with the Pelvic Docs. My partner in crime, Jocelyn, is out camping somewhere, so I'm going to do this one solo, but we are so lucky to have with us one of uh, my PT heroes. I've been following her ever since I was in residency, Um, Miss Jessica Real. She is going to introduce herself because I cannot do her justice. So without further ado, Jessica, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, everyone. I'm Jessica Rial. I am also a physical therapist specializing in pelvic health. I live in Atlanta, Georgia with my husband, and I have two amazing little girls, uh, Emma, who is three, and Mary, who is three months, almost four months, and just, uh, well, three more days. So, um, what else, what else do you want to know? I've been, I've been practicing in pelvic health for about 10 years. I love it. I teach pelvic health courses through the Herman and Wallace Pelvic Rehabilitation Institute, which is just amazing. And um, yeah, and treat patients in all pelvic health diagnoses and pretty much just eat, breathe, and sleep pelvic health most of the time. (laughs) (laughs) Between that and being a mom. That's why we love you. Um, (laughs) You wear so many different hats, Jessica. And so there's so many different things I want to touch on. But first and foremost, you said that your your littlest one is almost four months old. So just as a woman and as a mom going through a second pregnancy, can you tell us a little bit about what your second pregnancy was like compared to your first pregnancy? Yeah, it was totally different. You know, it's it's interesting. So backing up to my first pregnancy, um, when I got pregnant, I was like, yes, this is like a mini case study for myself, but I'm the case subject. <laughs> <laughs> For all of us who practice in this field, we study and we learn. And I'd gone to all these courses about working with clients who are pregnant and the postpartum period and all of that. And it's just so different when you're living it in your life. Um, so it's interesting because when I was pregnant with my first daughter with Emma, I had all these patients, they would tell me, you know, oh, I bet you're going to have the best delivery ever. And you're, you know, you're not going to have any problems and you don't have thinking that because I had this knowledge that somehow I was superior to their experiences. And then my, you know, 
pregnancy didn't go the way I wanted it to. You know, I had done, I learned, I was trying to be active as much as I could, but I was also dealing with the major fatigue that happens. And so the exercise level that I wanted was met with me just wanting to fall asleep on the couch every day when I got home from the clinic. And so I struggled with trying to find some balance with that. And and then I had preterm labor with Emma that led to me being on bed rest for a while. And um, yeah, so that was, you know, also out of work earlier than I thought. And then when it actually came time for labor, and it's funny because I'm talking to you about this now, but honestly, right after my delivery, I was almost, I felt like as a pelvic therapist, I should, I should have had a perfect delivery. And I don't know why I put that on myself that, you know, I learned so much and I knew so much, um, but my delivery was different. You know, Emma's birth, I, my labor started when I was at home and my water broke to start labor and I labored for 37 hours and ultimately spiked a fever and Emma went into distress and I ended up with a cesarean birth. Um, wow. I knew yeah. that you had had a cesarean, but I didn't yeah. really know what the precipitating events were for that. So yeah. was that scary for you when you were going through all of that? Yeah, you know, actually, no, no. So it, was, it wasn't, it wasn't. I think there's this amazing thing that happens as a mom to where you, you shift in your mindset to where suddenly, suddenly your focus is on this other person and it's not on you. And I, I was amazingly able to maintain a level of calmness during the whole process that was not what I anticipated I would feel. Um, and I do think that part of that is, you know, as healthcare providers, we, have this power that sometimes people who don't work in healthcare don't have. And what I mean by that power is uh, understanding that the rights that a patient should have and the importance of the patient maintaining their autonomy. And, and that was the interesting thing for me is that, you know, I had a cesarean birth, which as someone who had wanted to have a natural birth and had planned to not use medication and all this stuff, it was different than what I had expected. But it was still able to be an empowering experience for myself. And the biggest piece I think is that I was able to maintain my autonomy through the process of my labor, that I still made decisions and um, felt in control instead of the my patients can experience, which is suddenly things start happening to you and you're no longer a participant in that decision made. Fortunate in knowing my patient's rights, being able to make sure that I could maintain that. But, um, so but yeah, you, but it, I don't mean to cut you off, Jessica, but you said that, well, you, you know, you were able to make some decisions. So what types of decisions are you talking about? I shouldn't even say this. I fired my a midwife in the middle of my, my labor <laughs> and for good reasons, I'll tell you. So I, um, in the, in the middle of labor, it was probably around 32 hours, and I had kind of reached this point where I, I hadn't slept in, you know, I was close to two days at that point based on how things had happened previously, so I was so fatigued. My husband actually wore a GPS watch, and <laughs> we had walked over five miles in the hospital wow. to try to get my labor stimulated, so I was so, so tired, so I ended up getting an epidural, and when I was, um, when I got my epidural, 
suddenly there was this shift change, which can end up making things a little tricky. But, but um, the person who ended up coming on duty at the time, she suddenly comes, like, comes into my treatment room, really, or my birthing suite. And, and it's like this peaceful setting. And she comes in and the nurse is there and she doesn't talk to me. And she turns to the nurse and said, she's been in labor for a really long time. And this is just getting ridiculous. We need to get this baby born soon. And, and I make you feel, Oh, I well, I stopped her right there. And I was like, hi, I'm Jessica. Um, can you talk to me about what I said? Is there something different? changed because I was on continuous monitoring. Um, and, our, and Emma was doing great and all my numbers and everything was looking great. And I had this plan. And so it was, you know, without, I could talk about it for a long time, but it ended up being a situation where she was starting to move things really quickly, wanting to make decisions without putting me involved in it. And so I was with a practice that had a physician and a midwife on, on call at the same time. And so we ended up, um, talking to the OB who was on call and requesting that she no longer be involved in our care. And it was important, you know, because it, Absolutely. it changed things back so that it was, we were in the driver's seat and we could continue to make choices. And, you know, not that I wanted to go against what was recommended medically for me at all during the labor, but I think it's so important as a mom that you're brought into the conversation, that you're given options, that you make decisions with your providers. And I mean, and you know, as a, clinician that translates into everything we do as healthcare providers that patients and clinicians should always be a team it should never be the clinician who's forcing the patient to do something it should be this team approach and that works best you know and i was lucky too because i had hired a doula and you know i think for me that was that was really huge cuz she was someone on my team who helped me to drive that and helped to you know after i had that first interaction when she left the room she said so how do you think that, you know, how do you feel about what just happened, Jessica? And I'm not going to repeat the things that I said in that moment. But <laughs> That's probably good. The interaction. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, but I think having that, um, that support can be really helpful. Having uh, someone like a doula and my husband was also there and he was also very supportive of trying to make sure that things stayed going in a way that we wanted to, you know, that we, that we were in control. So it was, it was good. And then can you just tell our listeners for those who may not be familiar with what a doula is, I'm also a midwife um, because I know, and I'm sure you have too worked with a, a lot of amazing midwives. So I'm sorry that your experience was not 150%. ideal, but if you could just kind of speak to the listeners about like, what is a doula and what is a midwife and how are their roles different and how do they perhaps overlap and then meld very nicely together? Yeah. So, I mean, midwives are uh, typically so certified nurse midwives. So they've had a, this advanced training and they are medical professionals that will assist in the birthing process. Um, the, the funny thing is the vast majority of midwives I absolutely love. And um, I just ended up having this bad experience. And, you know, I think just like any profession, there are fantastic Absolutely. clinicians and there are like less than fantastic clinicians. And who knows, she may have been a fantastic clinician who a day, you know. So, uh, so yeah, so the difference then a doula, they are offering labor support. And so they are there specifically for the mom in helping her through the process of labor and birth. And, um, you know, they're not actually 
helping with the actual birth of the baby, but they're helping with the mom. And so, um, so it's someone, it's someone who's on your team, uh, a really good doula should actually partner with your other birth professionals and support you with your, whether you're working with an OB, whether you're working with a midwife, um, you know, so that it's, it's kind of a nice team approach to your birth. I've actually been really surprised living in Stillwater, which I consider to be slightly more rural coming from St. Louis and then mm -hmm. kind of living in bigger cities on how many amazing doulas and midwives I've had the opportunity um, to meet and work with already. And it's just not something that I thought that I would find in a rural community. And are you actually in Atlanta, Jessica? I am. So we're, so I'm super spoiled because we have, <laughs> I mean, options, 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 and some really, really, truly incredible professionals and both midwives. Um, are, we have incredible physicians. We have uh, lots of different doula practices to choose from, lactation consultants, all those other things too that can be beneficial. So, so you had your C-section. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about that, what that recovery was like, both physically and emotionally, mm -hmm. knowing that now you've just had a major abdominal surgery, you mm -hmm. have a new baby, and that really wasn't your initial plan. You know, so switching back now to my second birth. So my first cesarean, my recover was recovery of the actual cesarean was great. You know, I didn't, I was able to, I think once things happened, I did, I dealt with a little bit of, I don't know if it's guilt or shame of the fact that I had a cesarean birth that somehow I was, you know, what happens. We can end up feeling bad about ourselves. But, uh, but so I, but my actual physical recovery after my cesarean was really good. And I felt great after the first one, um, with Mary. So my, so with the second pregnancy I asked about that, but I shifted to the first one, but the, with the second pregnancy, the pregnancy itself was actually really good. And I didn't have any preterm labor, which was good. I did end up having a cesarean with Mary as well. And my recovery for that one was actually a little bit more difficult. Um, I ended up, uh, shortly after getting out of the hospital, I had some type of, there was a neural injury that happened for me during really irritated, uh, one of the nerves that runs kind of through your groin area. And that was, that was challenging because I would, you know, every step I would take, I would feel this jolting nerve pain into my groin. And, um, and that was also interesting as a clinician as an, and as an educator, because I teach people that nerve injuries like this are, are common, not, not common. They're not, they're not super common, but that they do happen. And the vast majority of people heal really, really well from them. It's like, I think it's close to 96% heal really, really well after having a nerve injury during birth. But then of course, when you're actually the one experiencing the nerve injury, it's different. And so I was sitting there going, In the back of your mind, you're going, am I going to have this pain forever? And, you know, am I going to have to go down this road of having interventions? Um, but, but I was fortunate again with that because I dealt with it. And I think somewhere around the five to seven week mark, it just got better. And it was there one day and then the next day wasn't there. And so, um, so that, that was good. Was that, I guess scary is not the right word, but again, I think 
going back to what you had said previously, that people think that as pelvic health care providers, like we have all this information and we help women with these problems. So even if we develop them, you know, we should be able to treat ourselves and things get better. So, I mean, I really appreciate how you said, you know, we talk to people about this, but then it happens to you and it's like, oh man, is this just going to be there forever? And did that help you to get into the mindset of some of your patients or maybe help you have some aha moments about, oh, wow, this is where some of my patients are at? Yeah. You know, I think both of my birth experiences just led me to have a little bit more empathy to, to understand that when someone comes in and they're really, really stressed about their condition, um, those feelings are real. And when you're the person who's living it, it can be incredibly overwhelming. And, you know, with the second child, dealing with that while you're also managing the first child who doesn't understand, you know, and I, I remember she, she kept saying, mama, I want you to sit on the floor. I'm like, well, mommy's tummy's hurting right now. And, and so it, it was a thing where she would come to me, mama, how's your tummy doing? How's that tummy doing? And she'd want to look at it and she'd be like, it's healed yet? It's healed, you know, because they don't understand that you have to stop. And, and so those are the situations that our patients are going through too. And, um, I think that, yeah, I think just, it has just helped me to be more understanding with that and offer a little more grace too in the whole process. Um, you know, I, I think I used to, I'm thinking about exercise during pregnancy and, you know, we talk about what's ideal, that it's good to stay active, but to also offer grace that sometimes you are just so tired when you're pregnant and sometimes things get uncomfortable to where what you prefer to do exercise wise, you can't do. And so I think it also has helped me to really try to meet my patients more where they're at, both in the prenatal period and the postpartum period, but in life in general. And and to try to try to work with them based on how they're feeling at that time and how we can help fit the therapeutic practices within their life as their life is, instead of trying to hold them to a standard that may not be attainable for them in the situation that they're in at the time. It's really nice to hear that perspective. I know there's a really big push now and there's a lot more information about exercise and pregnancy, which is amazing. And I think um you know, we should be exercising. Exercise is great. I'm not saying that I'm swinging the pendulum in the complete opposite direction, but I almost feel like, especially on social media, that there's, it's like we've almost gone the opposite way that if you're not like doing these crazy things in pregnancy or maybe doing these things with a little bit of modification that, you know, you're not being the best you that you can be. And I will preface or kind of give the caveat that I'm not pregnant. I don't have children, so I can't speak from that perspective, but I really appreciate no. you. <laughs> I appreciate you offering the perspective of having grace and meeting people where they're at. Um, I work with some women where they're completely sedentary and they're like, well, I saw that I should be, I should exercise. Like, should I go out and start running now? And I don't think that that's what the takeaway is, right? It's mm -hmm. meeting people where they're at. So I think that's a really nice transition into the next thing I wanted to ask you about. So you are a pelvic health practitioner. Um, you have two little girls, but you recently took on a new endeavor. And so Jessica just opened her new clinic, was it two weeks ago? Yes, I just finished my second week. So tell us a little bit about what prompted you to decide to open your own clinic 
and what that has entailed. I, uh, and, and then kind of how your first two weeks have gone. Yeah, I I think it, it's interesting because I, I don't think I've, I haven't always thought that I would open my own practice. I, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I have always been interested in academia, so I thought maybe that was where I wanted to go. Uh, but it's just, I think over, especially since Emma was born um, the past couple of years, I just started thinking about what I want and what I, what's best for my family. Um, and, and as time went on, and especially as I got pregnant with Mary, I started thinking about, you know, I would love to be able to have thing where I can treat patients and be closer to where I live. Um, I was fortunate in that I was working for a practice that I actually really loved, you know, that was a great private practice and the owner was wonderful and very supportive. And, uh, so I wasn't leaving like a bad place, but I liked the idea of having the independence and being able to do what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it. Um, and then on another level, you know, I, I love the idea of creating a space that is specifically and all about serving people who have pelvic health conditions. Um, cause it's my passion. And, and I think that many of the conditions that we treat as pelvic health therapists can be very isolating for people. Um, you know, treating people who have pelvic pain, sexual pain, urinary leakage, you know, bowel problems, it can feel often like you are probably the only person who's experiencing this. And so I loved the idea of having this pelvic health center that was where everyone who's coming in the door is there for some type of pelvic problem. So that people can feel, you know, like they're, they're in good company. And and I liked the idea of creating this really calming, relaxing atmosphere of being able to think differently about things, about the way care is provided and try to provide the best care I can to individualize it to my patients. And so, so I started getting really excited about it. And um, it's fun. I mean, at first I thought it was just going to be me and just be my own little practice. And the more I do it, the more I want it to be more, you know, and want it to grow and to, uh, eventually have several therapists who are there all doing pelvic health. And, uh, I don't know. I mean, we'll have to see where it goes cause I'm only two weeks in, but, <laughs> so, but yeah, the timing was interesting. Um, I was going to say, tell us a little <laughs> bit about that because you're starting a new practice, but you're essentially kind of just coming back to work and going a hundred percent all just, in. Yeah. I, I like to think that I had two babies at the same time, you know, um, the, because I ended up having to do all of the work of starting a practice while I was a new a mom to this new baby. Um, but things ended up working out the way they should. I mean, I was very blessed because Mary is a very easy baby. Emma Emma didn't did not like sleep as much. Emma still doesn't like sleep as a three year old. Mary has always loved sleep. And I'm like my kind of girl. She oh she loves her some sleep, and so she just has, would hang out with me while I would be doing all these things that you have to do to start a clinic. And um, and it was funny because within a few weeks I was like, oh my gosh, I'm staying up till midnight every night, and it's not because Mary's keeping me up; it's because I have all these things to do to get the clinic ready, um, and it's a lot of work, you know. I mean, I have 
mad props for moms. No matter, the thing as a mom is that no matter what you do, whether you're at home with your kids full time, whether you're working full time, whether you're at home with your kids, but also working, um, it's just being a mom and doing anything is a lot of work. And for moms who are working outside of the home, it's, it is challenging balancing all of that and trying to give everything you can to your children, but also give what you need to give to be successful in what you want to hear. Um, so, so it's been challenging, but it's been fun too. I, I remember I was talking to the person who was designing my website and she said to me that starting practice. Oop, you cut out a little bit, so I'm going to have you report you. that. And it was, oh yeah. So I was talking to the person designing my website and she said, I'm sure it's a nice energy diversion for you. And it's funny because that's been a really big thing is that it's this, it's very time consuming and it takes a lot of energy, but it's such a different kind of energy than it is to be a mom and to care for my children. And so, uh, so in that way, I think it's been really cool because I've been able to shift my energies towards both things that I'm very passionate about. And, um, yeah, and it's been fun. I mean, we had our, uh, second week last week and, and it's been growing really fast, which has been cool too. And, my schedule's, you know, almost full and um, congratulations. That's thank huge. You. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, it's just been amazing. I mean, things have fallen into place and um and I'm loving it and I love the space I'm in and it's been it's been really, really fun. I have to very selfishly ask, are you going to continue teaching and mentoring? Oh yes. Okay. I love teaching. So I love treating my patients, but teaching has a huge, huge part of my heart and I, um, yeah, I could never, I could never give it up. I had so, someone was asking me that and, or actually one of my, one of my pages was complaining that my teaching was a diversion from, t from treating. <laughs> like, if you weren't traveling to teach these courses, you might be able to add more patient care hours. I, I like to think that with your teaching, you can actually impact. Am I cutting out again? Uh, yeah, you cut out just a little bit. So okay. Uh, you cut out right after uh, you told us about your patient who was yes. upset about <laughs> your teaching diverting yes, and adding more hours. Yes. Um, so, yeah, so I actually feel that the teaching that I do and the mentoring I do is, is another way that I can actually give back to more people because I think, you know, every time, especially when we start at these, I teach the pelvic series with Herman Wallace, the Pelvic Rehabilitation Institute, and when we come into the beginner level courses and we have this room full of 40 clinicians that know nothing about pelvic health and then by the end they're ready to go back and treat people i mean that to me is so incredibly rewarding to help someone to actually help their patients get better and you know i think about i've at this point taught you know hundreds of therapists about pelvic health and all of those people are going to be working with patients and it's just this exponential impact that I think that, that I can have on, on people. And so I, yeah, I love it. And I love the mentoring too. You know, I started a small group mentoring program about a, a little over a year ago and I did my first cohort. It was great. And I ended up getting, I was pregnant while that was running. And uh, so I haven't started it up again, but it was so fun to just work with people on a smaller level. And I still am doing private mentoring and, um, and I just, I love to be able to impact patients in all the different ways I think I can right now. So. 
I'm yeah, really so, hoping yeah. if you uh, do a second cohort to jump into your cohort, my PhD is kind of crushing me right now and it consumes oh gosh, lots of time, imagine. but it, it's so nice. I think sometimes, at least for me as a pelvic health care provider, even here where there are a few other people that practice in the state. So um, we've kind of tried to all meet each other. I want to say there's probably like 20 of us in the state of Oklahoma but it does feel very isolating on a day-to-day -day basis mm -hmm. where you see some very complex things and there's really nobody to talk to about it. Or mm -hmm. you can talk to somebody, but maybe they have less experience than you do. So one thing that I really value about you is that yes, you teach people that have no experience in this, but you have a wealth of experience. So for those really complex people, that's where I'm like, oh, gotta ask Jessica about this one. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, um, I think that the mentor is fun for that reason, you know, and I, one of the reasons I started it is that I would go teach these courses, both the beginner level and then intermediate and advanced courses too. And we would have people in the classroom who were, they were going to be the only person doing pelvic health in like a 200 mile radius. And I would tell them, you know, don't go learn a new skill and then go be an island and be just course doing everything by yourself because then you become this echo chamber where you're you know you're like yes this is the right plan and there's no one questioning no one asking and you know and for myself I love talking to when I mentor clinicians worked in the past as they get more comfortable I talk to them about my difficult cases and and it's amazing because I'll have someone who I have mentored and talk to them about a patient and they'll say like well have you thought about this or that and I'm like that is a great point. I really should go back to that, you know? And we all, I think the more all of us can be constantly questioning our practice and trying to learn and being willing to throw out what you, what you think you know for uh, if the research tends to promote something different, I think it, that's how we all grow as clinicians. So this kind of brings me to the final topic I wanted to ask you about. So being a new mom, but then also having your own practice, what advice would you give to women about what to look for in a pelvic health therapist? And when would you recommend, recommend moms seek the care of a pelvic health therapist? Um, what symptoms should they be looking out for? Is this something you feel that everybody should have? But just give us a little bit of thought on that. Okay. Uh so in terms of when you should seek out a pelvic health therapist, you know, I think the, the main, so, so a physical therapist specializing in pelvic health will be working with people with um, any complaints related to the bladder, uh, problems related to the bowel. So that could be constipation. It could be incontinence, pelvic pain, pelvic girdle pain. Um, and the prenatal and postpartum period, that does include different musculoskeletal pain, but also things like um, diastasis rectus, so that you know, separation in the abdominal muscles. It can include painful scars. Um, it can, we treat sexual dysfunction, sexual pain. So, I think definitely if a person's experiencing any of those pieces, it's so important to know that while some of those things are common, they're not what you have to expect and live with, and, uh, and they shouldn't be part of the normal process of having a baby. 
And so, you know, for myself, when I was having my nerve pain, I was already thinking, all right, if this doesn't go away, which of my colleagues am I going to pick to be my clinician to help me? And, um, and so I think definitely if you're having any of those problems, seek out care from someone and, you know, there are different directories to try to find a clinician specializing in pelvic health. Um, the American Physical Therapy Association has a PT finder. The um, Herman and Wallace that I teach for, um, we have pelvicrehab.com, which is a big practitioner directory. And then I know that um, Tracy Scher now has her directory through um, the, I think it's the Global Pelvic Health Alliance, is that right? Yeah. Yes. And so there's, so that's another directory. And so there's a few different directories that you could go to. I think that you, you want to make sure one, that the person you're seeing has the skill set to be able to address the need that you need, that you have. And so I would want to make sure that they have attended advanced coursework in, treating pelvic floor related problems. Um, and then along with that, I think one of the biggest things is just making sure that they are a good fit for you. So when you go to your first session, you should feel one, like you have answers, that there should be someone who understands what's happening with you and helps, you know, partners with you to have a clear plan on how to make that better. You should leave feeling empowered. You should not leave feeling broken because you're not broken. You know, I mean, we. Amen, sister. Yeah, I mean, we have challenges. We have struggles. Our bodies can sometimes not work optimally, but unless unless you actually have a true fracture or something, you know, I mean, you're not broken. You are you're a person and you're whole, but you just might need some guidance to help you get the most out of your body. And and so that's the biggest thing is I think just making sure you have someone who's on your team that you feel better, that you feel empowered, that you don't leave feeling like, gosh, this is really bad, you know? So um so along with that, what was there was one other question? What was the last question? Um so I'm not sure if it was the question that I asked, but I guess uh, kind of if you had a one pearl of wisdom to offer postpartum women in their recovery journey, what would that be? Yes. So actually your other question you had asked was, should everyone go see a pelvic PT? And I will say, I know I'm biased, but I think that being knowledgeable about your body is so important. And so from a pelvic health standpoint, I would say, go, go see someone and get evaluated. Even if it's just you know, one visit prenatal, one visit postpartum, just to get evaluated and find a baseline for yourself so that you can get the most out of your body and out of your function. I think that we're moving into an age where people are wanting to be preventative. You know, they're not wanting Absolutely. to just respond to what happens with their body, but to actually say, okay, I had a baby. And like for me, I had cesarean deliveries or births. What can I do to actually get the most out of my body as I get older? What can I do to prevent myself from having problems? Um, so I do think every person should go. Um, so my, my pearl of advice would be number one, pull a pelvic PT into your team and see someone. But then also for, for my moms, I would say, um, you know, just remember that you are in the driver's seat, you know, that you're in control and, um, and make sure that your healthcare providers are being a part of your team. Make sure that, you know, as you're going, journeying through your pregnancy, through your birth, that you feel supported. 
um, you know, that we, we as healthcare providers have information to offer, but it should never feel like you're being forced to do things. It should feel like someone's teaching you and giving you tools and then helping you make decisions. And, um, and so I just encourage everyone to make sure that's happening. And if it's not, then take steps to help that to happen. You always have the right to get second opinions. You always have the right to seek, you know, additional support if you need it. Um, so don't feel trapped that if you're not feeling supported that you have to just stick around with it. So Jessica, if people want to get more information about you or your clinic mm -hmm. or uh, maybe other clinicians that I know you have some amazing blog posts that I've been following for a very long time, but tell us all the different ways that we can get in touch with you. Yes. So along with my, with my clinic, I also do write an educational blog and I've been doing that now for I think about four years and it's super fun. Um, Sometimes I write more. Sometimes, sometimes I have kids and start practices and write less. Um, but, but I love writing on that. And so my blog is Jessica Real, um, PT.com. And there you can search for any of the topics that I've written on and read some of my thoughts on those things. I I've also done some other interviews with different clinicians too. So some of that is there. My clinic website is southernpelvichealth.com and I am uh, really excited about the clinic website. I was excited to actually work with another physical therapist to make the website, which was, which was cool because she's doing kind of a side business with that. And I really like what she came up with. Um, so I, I try to keep that updated. Uh, but those are the, the blog and the website would be the easiest ways to reach out. And my email's there, so you can contact me through that. And I'm happy to talk with anyone who, who would like to about, uh, about anything after this, after this podcast. So great. And if people want to schedule a visit with you, can they do that through your website as well? They can. Yeah. So I have a, actually an online scheduling platform. So if anyone, if anyone's interested, they can do it through that or they can contact me directly and I can help them with the process of getting scheduled. Well, great. The women in Atlanta are so lucky to have you. I'm so grateful that you came on with us tonight, Jessica. Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate having you on. Thank you so much for having me. I was really honored to be asked. And um, yeah, so thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Well, I look forward to staying in touch and hearing all about how the girls are growing up and how the business is going. Awesome. Thank you so much. Have a good night, Jessica. Thank you.